Welcome to this episode of TechLink in Conversation. I'm Eddie Grant, a director at Technical Connection. During our conversations, we seek to review the topical bulletins published on TechLink, our knowledge management tool, for all things tax, trusts, pensions, and much, much more. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Barbara Gardner, who leads Technical Connection's projects and project teams on all aspects of the design and maintenance of trusts and trust-based strategies. And also, I'm delighted to be joined by Nikki Bittell, a tax and trust specialist within Technical Connection. Both are key members of our TechLink team. Hello, Nikki. Hello, Barbara. How are you? Good, thank you. Great, thanks very much. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, we're all looking forward to the festive festive break and uh, and not seeing anyone. So uh, that should be that should be interesting this year. Yeah. I think we're all looking to the end of this year and better <laughs> year next year. Yeah. Yeah. Roll on 2021 is what we're looking forward to. <laughs> Excellent. Um, so today we're going to um, really look at loan trusts. Um, and uh, if I could start with you, Nikki, um, could you just uh, talk us through what is a loan trust and uh, what are the benefits? Yeah, sure. So basically, a loan trust is an estate planning arrangement where the settler makes a cash loan interest free to the trustees. And what the trustees tend to do with that money is they invest that cash, usually in an investment bond. So you could have other assets, but the default position and the things that we normally see is they invest that money in a bond and they make use of the tax deferred withdrawal allowance under the bond to be able to repay the loan to the settler. Okay. And whilst there's no immediate inheritance tax saving, the main idea or the concept of the, the planning here is that any growth on the bond would accumulate outside of the settler's estate. And as the settlor takes and hopefully spends, that's quite important, the loan repayments from time to time, um, essentially their estate will gradually reduce. So who might consider setting up such a loan trust? Well, I'd say that a loan trust tends to be very suitable for anyone who wants to retain access to the capital. So in this came, case, the loan but they also want to carry out some form of estate planning. However, they feel that at the moment, for whatever reason, they don't really want to make a gift. So instead they make a loan it, with the knowing that they can have access to that loan. You know, it's repayable on demand. And um, it's quite important to note as well that, it, see, that the loan plan is a bit of a flexible platform. And what I mean by that is if they do change their mind later on, then of course they can um, waive their right to that loan, effectively making a gift. So they've, they've kind of got a bit of a choice there. And as I mentioned earlier, it enables the client to freeze the inheritance tax liability on the amount that they've lent. What about the tax treatment of these arrangements? So it would depend really on whether or not they set the trust up on an absolute or discretionary basis. OK, um, but for the purposes of our discussion, I'm going to assume that the trust is established on a discretionary basis because the client or the settler is actually making a loan to the trustees. 
there aren't any tax implications of them doing that because they're not making a gift. So we're not worried about transfers of value for inheritance tax. Um, and as long as the repayments of the loan, as long as they're repayments interest free and repayable on demand, we haven't got any ongoing um, income tax implications to think about either. Because again, as I mentioned before, the trustees usually just use the withdrawal allowance to make the, the repayments of the loan. I would point out, though, that where you've got a discretionary trust, ordinarily exit and periodic charges would apply. However, repayments of the loan using the tax deferred withdrawal facility uh, would not give rise to any exit charges. And it's important to note that for the purposes of any periodic charge, the value for inheritance tax is actually the amount held in the trust at the 10 year anniversary, less any outstanding loan. So as long as the settler hasn't made you know, numerous chargeable lifetime transfers in the seven years prior to creating their loan trust, in practice, you're not really going to have a periodic charge payable. However, it is important to note that because the investment, or in this case, as I've mentioned, we're assuming that the trustees have invested in a bond, there can, of course, be income tax implications where bond withdrawals are taken to repay the loan. So I mean, not amounts within the tax deferred facility, but any amounts in excess of that. And this is particularly relevant in a situation where maybe the settler might demand repayment of the full loan okay in his or her lifetime because in order to do that the trustees will need to encash the bond or a sufficient number of clusters or segments to repay that loan and that can give rise to a chargeable event ordinarily if that happens in the settler's lifetime that tax would be payable or assessable should i say against the settler's income tax position um but if it happens in a later tax year so the same applies if it happens in the tax year of the settler's death but if the trustees in cash in a later tax year then what you have is the chargeable event would be assessable on the trustees and of course as we know with a discretionary trust that could be as high as 45 percent subject to the standard rate band which is usually only a thousand pounds and what we're finding is that when the settler does die and the loan does become repayable to the estate, we're finding in practice this seems to cause a lot of a lot of issues. Wouldn't you agree with that, Barbara? Yes, absolutely. We we do seem to get a lot of a lot of questions um, about particular circumstances, and they are very often similar. And I think the the issue is that people basically often forget that. There are several parties to the arrangement and and sometimes you tend to think well there is a bond in trust and then there is someone who is entitled to it so typically we would get the sort of questions well can the loan be waived yeah. usually can the loan be waived by executors and as i will explain in a moment that's not really an option or can the bond be assigned to the beneficiary and uh, what is very important to remember is that there are certain legal aspects to this arrangement, which are not terribly complicated, but they need to be borne in mind when dealing with this arrangement. The key point is that there are four separate parties in this scenario. For a start, we have the loan trust. 
So we're dealing with the trustees of the loan trust. Obviously, to start with, there was a set law of the loan trust. Now, in place of the settler of the loan trust, we have the legal personal representatives of the settler. We'll refer to executors for simplicity. We've got beneficiaries of the loan trust, and on the basis that it's a discretionary trust, then will be a large group potentially of beneficiaries. And on the other hand, we've got the beneficiary or beneficiaries of the will, assuming there is a will or under intestacy. So there is there are two separate sets of beneficiaries. Now, in practice, what doesn't help is often the individuals concerned fall into more than one category. So you may have the spouse or a child being both the executor and the trustee of the loan trust and potentially beneficiary under the will, as well as being one of the beneficiaries under the loan trust. Now, even if you're dealing with the same beneficiary, for legal and tax purposes, it is essential that certain transactions happen in the right order. And when assets are being dealt with, it is clearly recognized which asset are we dealing with and who is legally entitled to that asset. So to start with, obviously, we're talking about the loan, outstanding loan, and it seems that Although loan trusts are part of IHT planning, in many, many, if not majority of cases, the settlers don't actually take repayments of the loan. So the estate is not reduced on debt. And perhaps that's another part of planning. People should be encouraged to think about, you know, do I really need all this loan, even on a deathbed? In some cases, a gift of it might be very IHT efficient. However, we are where we are. We're in most cases, it seems the loan, its entirety or most of it is in the estate of the deceased settler. So what we have is an asset passes from the settler to the estate, which now belongs to the legal personal representatives, i.e. the executors. The role of executors is obviously to gather all the assets of the estate, pay all the taxes, liabilities, that uh, need to be paid and then distribute all the assets to the beneficiaries under the will. Now, it is this process of transferring assets from one party to the other that is essential. And even if it's the same person that is effectively sitting on all these different stools, if you like, or wearing different hats, when certain transactions happen, they must happen in the right order to make sure that the legal ownership is clearly established, especially in relation to the bond, because when the bond is owned by the trustees, different tax implications apply. If the bond is passed to the estate, to the LPRs or the executors, different tax implications will apply on the encashment of the bond. And if the bond is passed as a bond, or what we call a transfer in specie, to another beneficiary, different implications will apply again. Now, the asset in the estate, obviously, here is the loan. So the question is, what happens to that asset? Now, to start with, the executors would look and need to check whether they need the cash, say, to pay the tax or uh, other liabilities of the settler. If the executors need the cash, then they will simply ask the trustees of the loan trust 
to surrender the bond and repay the loan. That will be the end of the matter. On the other hand, in many, if not most cases, there is no need for immediate cash payment to the executors because the estate at this point doesn't actually need the cash. So the question is, who is then entitled to this loan or loan repayment or strictly legally speaking, the right to loan repayments? Ideally, the settler would have left a legacy of his entitlement to loan repayments to somebody else, say to a spouse or to another person. If there is such a legacy in a will, then it is clear it will be the spouse or whichever beneficiary that will be entitled to their own repayments. Effectively, what the settler is saying is, I give whoever, my husband, wife, son, my right to repayment of this loan. Mm -hmm. Then it will be up to the beneficiary to say, well, I want to re loan repaid now or some other time, or I'm quite happy to just leave it there and ask for repayments at uh, whenever I need to. If, however, there is no specific legacy of loan repayments, then this asset, the loan repayments, will pass to the residue of the estate. So there will always be somebody who will be entitled to it. You need to look at the will provisions exactly to see who is actually going to be entitled. Obviously, in each case, the inheritance tax consequences will follow. So if the legacy or the residue passes to the spouse, it will be exempt transfer. In other case, it will be a chargeable transfer. So now we're establishing who is actually going to be entitled to this under the will. The next step is for the executors to transfer the asset, in this case, the right to the loan repayments, to the beneficiary under the will. Just like with any other asset, LPRs need to transfer the asset to the beneficiary. In the case of a loan, there is no need for any specific form. Basically, the only legal formality that is needed is for, for an assent is for land. For loan repayments, just anything in writing specifying basically who is going to be stepping into the shoes of the lender, so who's going to be entitled to this loan. So now that the loan has left the estate, we have a beneficiary actually entitled to this loan. What options does the beneficiary have? Nikki, what do you think? Well, I think we need to establish whether or not the beneficiary actually needs or would like the money. So I would imagine that if the beneficiary would, in fact, want to um, have the cash, if you like, in their hands, then the trustees of the loan trust at that point. So obviously we've said that that particular beneficiary is now entitled. So what the trustees of the loan trust, what they could do is... Um, if they did a deed of absolute appointment in favour of that beneficiary, then we've now turned that discretionary element of the, well, we've the trust into an absolute trust. And once that appointment's been made and the bond is then encashed, uh, the chargeable event gain, the income tax position, would fall on that beneficiary in accordance with their rates of tax. Um, and of course, depending on their other income, they may be able to benefit from top slicing relief, which, you know, is is especially if we're in a later tax year to settlers' death, that's going to produce a, 
a better tax result than the trustees being liable uh, when I mentioned the 45% rate earlier. Um, once, once the bond's been in cash, the trustees would just can pay that cash directly to the beneficiary and it will represent obviously part repayment of a loan and part of the growth. And then the beneficiary is free to do whatever whatever they like with that money. Um, but what about if the beneficiary says to the trustees that they'd like to assign the bond, Barbara? What do they do then? Well, this is the actually the, the tricky part because the assignment of a bond uh, potentially may have tax implications. First of all, if we're dealing with a discretionary trust, then in order to assign the bond to a beneficiary, the trustees would have to make a prior absolute appointment in favour of that beneficiary, which is basically similar situation to, to what we've already discussed. The danger is that if the loan is still outstanding and the bond is assigned to a beneficiary who is also effectively a lender, mm -hmm. then the assignment of the bond will be treated as being an assignment for consideration. What right. we're saying is, well, the trustees owe the loan to the beneficiary and they say instead of repaying you the loan, here's the bond. So this is an assignment for consideration. An assignment for consideration will mean that it's a chargeable event for income tax purposes. So there may be a chargeable event gain and effectively it would defeat the object of the exercise of avoiding immediate tax charge. Mm -hmm. Furthermore, an assignment for actual consideration will also bring the subsequent gains into capital gains tax net, which is not something you particularly want to happen. So one thing we definitely know and something to take from this uh, podcast is you should never assign the bond as a repayment of the loan, right? Yeah. If you want to assign the bond, it must not be as a repayment of the loan. So what will happen is that the beneficiary will need to waive the loan in favour of the trust. Obviously, once the beneficiary is absolutely entitled, he'll be waiving it in his own favour, so effectively the titles will merge, but it is essential that the loan is waived before any assignment takes place. This will then avoid immediate tax charge and then the bond will be in the hands of the beneficiary who can do with it as he likes and subsequent gains will be charged on the beneficiary. So, on the other hand, what if the beneficiary decides they do not want the funds after all? Well, I guess as you've mentioned before, um, they've got an option then. If they think that they don't want the funds, they could just do a waiver. So they waive the right to repayment of that outstanding loan in favour of the trust. Um, however, they would then, because they were entitled to that, they would then be making a gift for inheritance tax purposes. So in the case of a discretionary trust, that would be a chargeable lifetime transfer. So I guess it'd be important to consider whether or not that particular beneficiary has made other chargeable lifetime transfers, because obviously um, waiving that loan could mean that there may be an immediate IHT liability at the lifetime rate if they have made other gifts. Um, also, if they waived 
um, and were a beneficiary of that discretionary trust, then of course that would be a gift with reservation of benefit. So the um, you know they they would I, they need to would need to be excluded from future benefit under the terms of the trust. However, once that outstanding loan has been waived in favour of the um, trust, then the trustees of the loan trust you know, would be free to deal with the bond as an asset of the trust going forward. So they could continue to hold for the other discretionary beneficiaries. Um, and ordinarily, if they decide at a later stage um, that they wish to assign that bond out to a beneficiary, then they could do that. Um, that would give rise to an exit charge, but I guess we'd need to look at the specific facts to see if an actual charge would be payable. Um, or the alternatively the beneficiary could assign the benefit of the loan to another individual um, and in that case they'd still be making a gift but it would be a potentially exempt transfer um, and then the trust could continue as before with just the lender being uh, an, you know another person um, I'm not sure if you can think of any other options Barbara that that could be um, you know that could uh, that the beneficiary could do if they if they don't want the money well, as long as they make the decision within two years from the death of the settler, there is a better option for IHT purposes, which does not involve a gift or a gift with reservation, and that is a deed of variation. So, in effect, the beneficiary could execute a deed of variation, whether in favour of the loan trust or another beneficiary, as long as this is done within two years of death, the transfer will be treated as being made by the deceased settler for IHT purposes. So if it's waived in favour of the loan trust under which the beneficiary is actually also a potential beneficiary, it, mm -hmm. since it's not going to be a gift by that beneficiary for IHT purposes, it's not going to be a gift with reservation of benefits. So for IHT purposes, obviously, deeds of variation are a wonderful um, mechanism. And they still continue. Remember a couple of years ago, we've been told that the uh, government or HMRC were looking at abolishing this uh, vehicle, but it's still available. So um, as long as it is, it's it's a good idea for many people. However, what you need to remember that for income tax purposes, the tax implications are different. For income tax purposes, the transfer is not treated as being made by the deceased, is being treated as being made by the beneficiary who executes the deed of variation, that is the original will beneficiary. So what this means that is that on a subsequent encashment of the bond, we'll have a situation where any gain will have to be split between the parties that effectively contributed to the arrangement. So the assets that were transferred by the variation, which would have been the loan, would be treated as settled by the varying beneficiary, whereas the growth on the bond was treated as settled by the original deceased. So you will have to split the uh, gain between those two parties, which may or may not be complicated depending on, on the circumstances. Brilliant. Thank you so much. That was, that was really interesting. I, I feel like I haven't done any work today because the two of you have uh, 
been chatting away. Um, one of the things that uh, obviously we're keen to do with for the listeners is is to think about um, the top three things, perhaps, and tips that that, you, that we could leave them with. So, in 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 terms of uh, loan trusts, what would you say are the top three tips? Um, uh, Nikki, do you want to go first with the first yeah. one? Um, I think, uh, as Barbara mentioned when she was talking about the, um, you know, the, the legalities and the tax implications, I think if the client on settling a loan trust has really thought about what they want to happen to that outstanding loan on death, that's going to be really key. Um, and so I would say, you know, that they need to think about what they what they want to happen to that outstanding loan. Um, and make sure that they've actually catered for that in the will, because it will make the executors or personal representatives, um, you know, it's going to make their job a, a lot easier because they know where that outstanding loan is to be paid. So I think that may have been two. So there's a, one more one more to go. What would the, the third one be, do you think? Um, well, I think if they've already... It's still around the same subject, you know, the same area. But I think if they've already written their will, then they can do a codicil um, to reflect their wishes. So I think that's important. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think for, for the advisors, I think important point to remember is when you're talking to a client who has a loan trust, do ask, do you still need access to this loan? And there are a couple of points to especially to bear in mind. For example, even a, a deathbed gift, so to speak, just before you die of a loan might have tax benefits. The example of this is that although normally gifts made within seven years of death are sort of counted for the purpose of IHG on death, they're not counted for the purpose of residence near rate band. So if you've got a state around 2000, sorry, two million pounds or in excess of two million. So that residence near a band that would otherwise be available is tapered or not available at all. If you were to make a gift of your outstanding loan, even shortly before you die, that will reduce your estate for the purpose of residence near a band. And it might just, you know, resurrect your resident near a band, which means additional IHT savings. So just one sort of little bit of advice there. <laughs> so um, as, as, as the listeners probably know, I'm a big fan of Desert Island Discs. And um, so you've got your three really great tips. Um, so I suppose if, if, if we were to choose one of them, um, it feels like the strongest one to, to think is, is in terms of uh, dealing with that outstanding loan in the will that seems to be would you say that's the the the, the biggest thing to to do if you could do nothing else yeah yes. I did. so it just leaves me to obviously say thank you for your time today um and uh sharing your thoughts on on loan trust it's it really re really a topical subject um it, it's it's one of those sort of key planning tools that uh, that advisors use, but uh, there's lots of little bits to it that perhaps don't always get uh, get thought about when the planning is done. 
Um, I, I hope you have a, a great festive break. I hope you uh, have a good rest as well. Um, and uh, look forward to seeing you both uh, in the new year. So thank you for your time. Thanks, Eddie. Thank you. And Merry Christmas to you both. Yeah, thank Merry you. Christmas to you too. Thank you. And, uh, and obviously the last thing is uh, just to wish all the listeners um, a, a, a great break. Uh, keep well, keep safe. Um, and uh, uh, please remember that all the things you've heard about uh, today are all available on TechLink. So we wouldn't want to miss the opportunity to remind you that there's some great bulletins on TechLink. And I think you've you've uh, recently done some on uh, loan trusts as well to to uh, make sure we've got support for this particular podcast. So uh, as I said, wish everyone a, a great break, a happy new year and look forward to speaking to you all in, in the new year. So thank you. Thanks. Thanks. The content of this podcast is strictly for general consideration only. No action must be taken or refrained from based on the content alone. Professional advice must always be sought. Accordingly, neither Technical Connection Limited nor any of its officers, employees or contractors can take responsibility for any loss occasioned as a result of any such action or inaction.